Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I have all kinds of good information for you. I actually have five awesome announcements. Then we will get into the Word of God. All right, so you got to sit through the announcements before you can get into the Word of God. Here we go. The first one is this. As you look around, you will notice that we have a very healthy and rich uh, attendance in the Sunday services. And I want to let you know that as we turn the corner of this year, as we head into this next year, we're going to be inviting an awful lot of our community to come in and join us and be part of our family. And they are most easily able to fit in because of tradition into Sunday morning. So if you are able to shift to Saturday nights and that works with your schedule, works with, let's say if you don't have kids or however the whole thing works, if you are able to make that shift, we have some room for you on Saturday nights. So we would love to restructure that way as we're going to be filling this more and more and more every week as we turn the corner of the year. That's the first one. So that's a good problem to have. Second issue is that, and I'm going to try to trap you here. So how many of you are, you love gardening, landscaping, being outside in that? How how many of you are out there? Raise your hand. All right. Praise the Lord. I will now entrap you. Uh, We are having a landscaping party, right? Now, anytime you want to sell something, you put party after it. And that makes everything good. See what I'm saying? We're having a landscaping party. Uh, Another quick show of hands. This one is not a trap. How many of you come into church off of Washington Boulevard? Raise your hand. All right. Praise the Lord. We call that our California Youth Authority side. So when you drive in, it's ugly. And then you immediately hit razor wire. And remember, nothing says Jesus like razor wire. (laughs) Now, when you come in, we want to make that entrance as pretty as the other entrance. So we're going to have a landscaping party on that side. We have a professional landscaper, Kevin Woody, who's going to be running that. But on December 17th, he's going to come in with all the right machinery, turn up the soil. We don't have to dig the holes. I think that's awesome. And then we get a chance to plant some flowers and some plants and um, a few trees, some light irrigation repair that we're going to do over there, but we're going to try to make that whole entrance really nice. So the community uh, is appreciative of that as well. So December 17th, he's going to be here from 7:30 AM until dark. That does not mean you have to be when you sign up and all the information is in your bulletin. When you sign up, there are two hour shifts that you can be a part of that. You can sign up for as many as you want, but if you like to plant and stuff like that, please come join us. What we need are helping hands. Now, it says rain or shine. All right, now, there is an old proverb. I don't know where it comes from, but there is an old proverb that says there is no great bond of love like landscaping in the rain. Have you heard this? It could be Aramaic, I don't know. But anyway, it's true. So uh, if it is raining, we're still doing it. So uh, come on out and put on a rain slicker and let's go. All right. Got some galoshes and we'll do this. All right. That is the second announcement. Announcement number three is that as of November 1st, we closed out our invest campaign that we've been doing for the last two and a half years in order to get into this building. And clearly it worked, right? We are in this building and everything is beautiful and wonderful. Um, But I wanted to get back to you the actual 
numbers and let you know how it went from a financial perspective. Um, two and a half years ago, we were really taking a step of faith to come out here. Now, we asked you and let you know that along the way, we needed $5 million in order to make this transition. Now, I don't know where you come from, but a million dollars is a lot of money to me. So anything that is talked about in millions is weird. Uh, we are a church that has regular folks here. We are not a, oh, there's a whole bunch of billionaires. And let me be very clear, and I'll look right into the, micro, uh, the camera. If you are a billionaire and I do not know you, <laughs> we need to have coffee. All right, all right, anyway. <laughs> Other than that, we have normal folks that are out here going, man, I got milk money. And, and I, I mean, people are being so generous and loving. I'm here to tell you, we got in the final numbers and $4.9 million came in. How incredible is that? That was over and above uh, normal giving. And I just, I just have to tell you, I, I shouldn't be surprised. You are so sacrificial and so kind and generous with all that you do. So I just, as your shepherd, I just want to tell you, thank you for your incredible sacrifice. Um, as we are shifting and going around the year, we are going to be, as I said, inviting our community in. Now, we are having our grand opening of this building to the community, right? As a family, we've already been in here. We are opening up this building and inviting the community to this Easter as our grand opening. That means that we are going to do everything in our power to be good hosts and hostesses to allow them to feel welcome, warm, and wanted in this place. So what we came up with the idea that would be really fun for us is I asked all of our ministry teams, all of our staff, I said, what items above and beyond our normal basic budget would make this place fun? What would make it beautiful? What would make it user-friendly? What would make it something that when we have visitors come in, they would go, wow, what a neat place. And so they brought up a whole list of items, hundreds of items, things that are as practical as security radios, which we have a security team here that helps monitor the parking lot. And that's what's keeping a lot of your cars safe and, uh, and the razor wire. And... <laughs> That it would be really neat if they could talk to each other from this side to the other side, right? So just having that radio ability, that's one of the items. There's things like one of the couples in our church blessed us with a tremendous gift to Kids Way to bring in some beautification pieces. But there's also more. So decals on the walls, making things cute for the kids, where when they walk in, it's a welcoming environment. These are the items. So we put all those items onto a website called MyRegistry.com. MyRegistry.com, if you put in Bridgeway and search it out and, and click the nonprofit tab, it shows you hundreds of items that you can go in and purchase on behalf of the church, and then we can begin to institute them here. Anything that is over 300 bucks would be considered a joint effort and so you can do a cash donation towards it and it would be marked out that it's helping to pay for an item. And as we all collectively come together, those items are purchased. So some of you, it is now the end of the year. And because God blessed you, you have tax problems. <laughs> right? I know you think that's a devil. It's not. Here's why. <laughs> if God didn't bless you, you wouldn't have tax problems. 
Because you can't tax on nothing, right? All right. So obviously we got some tax issues. And so some of you, the end of the year giving is something that you need to offload and to handle things with charity giving. That's why we're bringing it out to you. This registry is an awesome opportunity for you to invest in our church and invest in our outreach into the community. And so I really encourage you, go on myregistry.com. We're going to get all that information up on our Facebook page, if you're a part of that, and give you all those instructions. Uh, Another awesome opportunity during this year, as I close out on these announcements, another awesome opportunity is that we get a chance to be generous, all right? A lot of us are blessed to have the basics of life. If we have anything above that, It's wonderful that we can share. So I'm going to encourage you, whether it's the stuff I'm talking about or not, whether it's attached to this church or not, please be generous this holiday season. Whether it's buying the Starbucks with somebody behind you, just saying that you love them, whether or not it's, here's something that I found out that periodically I'll do different events and I'll get paid for something. And the Lord says, all right, so a portion of that I would love to use in a different way. And so I will take that money and fold it up and keep it in my wallet and pray and watch where needs show up. Now, what that does is it changes my mindset of, oh, no, someone's going to ask me for something into, I sure hope someone asks me for something. And it completely alters the perspective where you're walking around hunting for need. And it becomes more of a game that you and Jesus get to play to bless somebody else. So maybe that's something that you want to do is just set some money aside and keep it until you see a need that the Lord brings up. All I'm saying is be generous. A couple of the ways to do that is in our lobby, you saw that we have that whole missions global thing. That is a wonderful way to bless the world. But there's another opportunity. This weekend and next weekend, we are opening up what's called the Christmas Center. You register to be a part of it and you can look at all that in your bullets and notes. But you register to be a part of that. That is open to our community and our church for families that are struggling this season. What we are looking for is donations of $25 gifts that are unwrapped that we could then put out in like a little store. We then discount all the 25 items to $5. That way the families can go in and shop for what they think their kids would like, right? So sometimes there's a blessing of just giving somebody a gift, but it'd be neat if the parents said, well, actually my daughter likes dinosaurs. And so they end up being able to purchase much less expensive We need your donations. We also, if you're interested in volunteering, sometimes when the parents come in with the children, it's no fun to shop while the kids are with you. So you would love for them to be able to color and stuff like that in another room. If you want to be a volunteer to just love on the kids while mom and dad are shopping, they're all registering. That is open. If you are struggling this season, this is for you. So you just register online and then we can take care of you. If you have any questions, we also have some uh, table, a table in the lobby that will answer some questions. So whatever it is, please be generous this season and love on somebody that maybe doesn't have as much as you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you take out your Bibles, please? We are in part eight of our Identity in Crisis series, and I am titled this walk through judges this particular moment the road to compromise if you could take out your handout sheet there's a fill in the blank there that i want to draw your attention to but i want to talk about the issue of temptation the temptation when it is fed too much becomes compulsion 
When it is fed too much, it shifts over into addiction. The difference between compulsion and addiction is that we cross a line where our bodies will no longer allow us to say no. I know that for some of us, we still don't believe that that is possible. And you will only know that you're addicted when you try to stop. As long as you're feeding into it, you have no idea how big of a stronghold it is in your life. It's only when you try to reverse it and step away from it. I believe that the Holy Spirit throughout the time that we're going to be talking and closing out the story of Samson and talking about a man's life who was unrestrained passion, I believe that the Holy Spirit will be highlighting different pieces in our life where he's saying, my daughter, my son, you know that you've allowed that to go on for so long you couldn't walk out if you wanted to, huh? I need you to know that we're going to be praying at the end of this service that bonds would be broken, that people would be touched, that lives would be restored, that addictions would be snapped. That I believe that God is more powerful than any addiction, but understand that sometimes it's our decisions that walk us into some pretty crazy stuff. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. If we cannot say no now, how will we then? If we cannot say no now, how will we then? If we think it's difficult now or we go, oh, it's no big deal, I'm just playing around with it. That's what you're saying now. I'm telling you, the deeper it goes, the harder it is to walk away. We need to be able to control it now. Paul, the apostle, said, I will not be mastered by anything. He said, therefore, I beat my body into submission. And that was obviously proverbial, right? He said, I control what's going on with me so that my flesh doesn't wreck me. He said, I need to live with a certain amount of discipline just so I can be free. I think that is the life that we ought to live. We're going to learn about a life that didn't. And that is Samson. Would you turn with me to Judges chapter 16, verse 1? What I did was hand to Pastor Brian Kiley last week the majority of the book so I could only handle one chapter. Now, that is just called rude in the teaching realm. But can we just thank Pastor Brian for his teaching last week? He's an amazing teacher. And because he had to jam so much into one message, let me just bring you all up to speed as to where we're at. There was a couple that couldn't have kids. And I believe that Jesus pre-incarnate, the angel of the Lord, showed up to that family and said, you're going to have a special child and he's going to help set Israel free. I need you to make him set apart. I need you to make him a Nazarite from birth. That just meant there were special things he needed to do because his life was going to be dedicated to God. But then as we watch the Holy Spirit come upon him and anoint him and do tremendous things through him, what you find out is his life is actually a mess. It's like everything he does violates the very code he's supposed to be living under. It's as if every step of the way, he never partners with God. God has to use him in spite of himself. It seems like God has a plan. This guy's just going off on whatever he thinks is a good idea at the time. And there's all this wreckage around his life. And I don't believe, me personally, I don't believe that it had to go this way. I think there are great warriors in the Bible that could have done what Samson did and partnered with God. I don't think it needed to end so tragically. But I don't think that his walk with God was ever very strong. I think the closest he ever got to the Lord was on the last day of his life. 
And if we continue to feed selfishness, there will be chaos. So his life when things like he got married to a Philistine woman, which he's an Israelite and they hate him. He got married. It turned out terrible. People died. People got beat up. Then it started this war and then uh, a whole bunch of them rush him. He kills a thousand of them in one day with a jawbone of a donkey. There's miracles happening. There's lions being ripped apart. There's all this craziness. But by the time we get to the end of his life, he's been reigning in Israel for 20 years. By the time we get here, he is a national hero to the Israelites and a national menace to the Philistines. His picture is on every poster. They hate this guy with a passion. But boy, he feels like Mr. Invincible. When you, and I, and I don't know what he looked like, right? I mean, I speculate. A lot of people think he always looked jacked, like, you know, that. I don't know. The guy was supernaturally gifted, and he did stuff that probably kept him in shape, but I'm telling you, he probably looked rather normal because it was not really him. It was the anointing of the power of God upon him. So you have this guy who is Mr. Invincible. If you can kill a thousand people by yourself, you then walk around with your chest out, your head high. You think that you're all that. And that's where we pick up the story. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Samson went to Gaza. Gaza's the deepest major city in the Philistine territory. Why in the world is he going there? It's almost a cocky move that he would walk through the whole entire nation going, what are you going to do about it? Really? You're going to mess with me. I'll rip you apart. And so he walks through everything. Everybody is sneering at him, hating him. Everybody knows where he's at. And he goes to the deepest city in their territory in the south. Samson goes to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. Now he didn't go there for her, but once again, he does whatever he wants to do. Oh, Hey, she's good looking. I think I'm going to go partake of her services, right? I'm trying to keep this PG 13, but the Bible doesn't look at the next line. And he went into her. All right. We can have that conversation with our children. By the way, quick disclaimer. A lot of you go, I wish pastor Lance would filter. Let me be very clear. I am. (laughs) What's going on in here? You don't need to know. All right. Here's what you need to say. I wish Pastor Lance would filter more. That's actually more accurate because I am filtering. All right, here we go. Verse two. The Gazites were told and word got out that Samson has come here. Oh, that's a big deal. And so they surrounded the place where he was at and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of morning and then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight when his credit card ran out. And at midnight, he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, there's a lot of weird stuff about this story. First of all, these Philistines have a really dumb plan. And here's why it's a dumb plan. We're going to surround the house. No, wait, we're going to wait at the city gates. We're going to watch it all night. If you're watching it all night, how the heck did he rip the whole gate off and you didn't even notice, right? This is a terrible plan. And if you're not going to kill him till morning, how about just getting a good night's rest? 
and then kill him in the morning, right? I mean, anyway, I'm, I'm questioning their intelligence. Here's the other thing that's weird about it. Samson goes out and why in the world would your reaction to them wanting to attack you be, I'm going to rip your gate off? Okay, go ahead. Why is that a thing? Because to a city, the gate is where the leaders stand. The gate is their government place. The gate is a symbol of protection. Here's what he's saying. It's all humiliation. Oh, really? You guys think you can keep me out? Oh, you're going to keep me in. What are you going to do? Nothing. Rip, rips the whole thing out of the ground, puts it on his shoulders and goes and sticks it in a, in a hill. Now we, it could be a mistranslation here and he may have just ripped the gate off and walked up to a hill in the town and stuck it there and said, there, take that. But if we're to take the most natural reading of this story, where did he put the gate? Do you see what it wrote? In Hebron. Where's Hebron? 40 miles away. Seriously, dude, at midnight, you're carrying a massive gate 40 miles away. That's so awkward. Just, I mean, I'm sure traffic's light, but still, you're carrying this huge gate for 40 miles. I don't know how long it takes you to walk 40 miles, but it sure would take me a long time. I don't know what this guy, here's the deal. I think the guy's just playing with fire. He's got no business being in the city. He's got no business trying to mouth off by ripping their gates off. He's got no business being with a prostitute. This guy's way out of control. It's once he feels so anointed and so big and bad, he thinks he can do everything because he's in charge. Is that going on in us? Yeah. God gifted this man to help and it's all lost in selfishness. Are you using the gifts, the anointing, the talents, the abilities that God gave you? Are you using them to build his kingdom or your kingdom? Because selfishness always leads to chaos. Hmm. Real quick side note on the anointing. I'm going to talk about this a little more next year when I talk uh, and do additional teaching on supernatural and spiritual gifts and things like that. But I do want to say this. Samson is a perfect example of a truth I don't think the church has received. And that's this. Anointing has very little to do with a person and more to do with God. And here's why that's important. If God anoints someone, an anointing is a change in the atmosphere. Uh, For example, there are some people that when they're anointed, that when they speak, the air is different. When they pray, God is heavily present. When they do things, there's like miraculous flowing from them. Anointing is almost where God says, excuse me, I'll take this one and kind of just sets you aside. And he takes over. Anointing is about the purposes of God, not about the person. And here's why that's so important. Because when we see an anointed person, we automatically want to put them in leadership. Anointing doesn't make you mature. Anointing doesn't even make you godly. Samson is the prime example of someone heavily anointed. You cannot deny his anointing. God is all over this dude. But wow, he is not a role model for your children. 
You know what I'm saying what I'm saying? And the reason why this is valuable for the church is because we have had so many people blow up over time. They were so gifted and people go, well, how could they do that? Hold on. You're the one that put them in leadership. You're the one that gave them such a high value. They weren't ready for that. Their anointing cast them all the way to the top and everyone started thinking they were a big deal. They're still a child in the Lord. So of course they blew up. Anyway, I could go on and on about that. I'll talk a little bit more about that next year. But just understand this. Anointing does not mean someone is godly. It just means that God's working. Okay? Let's go on to verse 4. After this, meaning sometime later, in the last year of his life, Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Now that's a new word for Samson. Samson knows how to use women. Samson does not know how to love women. Now you're going to find out this is perhaps one of the most dysfunctional relationships of all time. But in his mind, he was all in. Uh, Before he could come and go and take it or leave it, this one, he's all in. So his heart is hooked. And her name was Delilah. We know nothing about her outside of this. This story, verse five. And the lords or the rulers and leaders of the Philistines, of which there are five, came up to her and said to her, here's what we want you to do. We want you to seduce Samson. We want you to find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. Now, notice they do not want to kill him. They want to enslave him. They want to embarrass the Israelites. They want to dominate this guy. They want to be the big dogs. She's a Philistine. He is an enemy to her nation, but he loves her. So what type of woman will she be? They said, and we will each, and there's five of them, give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a ton of cash. 5,500 pieces of whatever, silver, whatever it is. The language here is unclear in the original. But it's a lot of money. You would assume at that moment she would say, but I can't. I love that dude. And this is what she says. Next line, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that no one, that one could subdue you. First of all, that's a weird question. Right? By the way, if you're in a relationship where this is currently being asked, I think that is called unhealthy. I think you need to go to a counselor. All right? I don't know what this woman's motivation is. Is it threat? Is it gain? The last people that tried to say no to the Philistines, they got burned alive. So I'm not, I don't know if she's under threat. I don't know if she just wants the cash. I don't know what's going on. I don't think she's a great lady. But notice how Samson reacts. If someone says to you, hey, how can I destroy you? Normally, that's a red flag. But for Samson, it's a game. Remember, he's the smartest, strongest, fastest in his mind. So he doesn't shy away from it. He leans into the challenge and he starts playing around with it. Watch this. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings of animal gut that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to Delilah seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them, which is weird. I'm assuming he's asleep. Verse 9. Now she had men lying in ambush in the house, 
And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Well, that's odd. But he still keeps playing with it. Look at verse 10. Delilah says to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Woman, you tied me up. That's what he should have said, but he didn't. And told me lies. Please tell me now how you might be bound. He said to her, well, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. Okay, do you remember last week? Someone already did the new rope thing. It didn't work. Someone's not listening. Verse 12. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. Hmm, that's weird. Said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, which is a terrible way to wake up. And the men lying in ambush, who are also in the house again, were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now, you have mocked me and told me lies. Oh, what a victim, right? I mean, this is manipulator versus manipulator, right? Tell me how you might be bound. So he starts getting creative. And then he said to her, well, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web or a loom and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. He's kind of cracking himself up. You understand? He just keeps coming up with more creative ideas. So while he slept... Delilah took the seven locks of his head, wove them into the web. She made them tight with a pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. Now that is some tough hair. Yeah. If you're like super strong, that doesn't mean you have all that much collagen. He has power hair. You know what I mean? If you are a football person, this is Troy Polamalu hair. You know what I'm saying? Big hair. All right. So he has it all tied in. He literally can rip stuff with his hair. That's awesome. All right. Let's keep moving on. The the little things fascinate me. Here we go. And look at her response. Verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Woman. You tied my hair in a loom. Nobody seems to comment on that. You have mocked me these three times. You have not told me where your great strength lies. All right, this is a dysfunctional relationship. And how deep does this dude sleep? Uh, Weaving. You have no idea, right? You better be drunk. You better be knocked out. Something's got to be wrong with you, brother. Because if you can't feel someone weaving your hair in a loom, you have sleep apnea. I mean, it's ridiculous. Samson is a brilliant idiot. Here's what I mean. The guy's smart. You can be very intelligent and have no wisdom. This guy knows how to do the riddle thing. He knows how to sneak out at night. He knows how to do all this stuff. The guy's playing this back and forth game. He's very intelligent, but he has no wisdom. His pride has blocked all of that. And so he's going to fall because pride always goes before the fall. Do you realize in the area of temptation, especially when it came to women, Joseph ran and lived. Samson stayed and died. We just got to learn that. You understand what I'm saying? All right, let's pick it up in verse 16. If you underline in your Bibles, you might want to underline this, especially you gentlemen. Here we go. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. All right. So gentlemen, nagging to death is a real thing. It's in the Bible. You just write that one down, put it on the fridge. 
That was insulting. All right, here we go. But ladies, you know, verse 17, and then he told her all his heart, you know, it works. Ha ha. It always works. And she wins. Here we go. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite to Elohim from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved then my strength will leave me and it shall become weak and be like any other man. What happens when compromise gets the best of us? How long are you going to play with it until it eats you up? Hmm. Is Samson's assessment accurate? Is that true? That if he gets his head shaved and his strength leaves, is his strength in his hair? No. The strength's of the Holy Spirit. You go, but yeah, 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 but really the hair thing. Hold up. It's not the thing. It's the thing behind the thing. What do I mean? It's not his hair. It's the obedience his hair represents. And you go, okay, so what does that have to do with me? Here you go. You ready? Sometimes God asks you to do stuff that you have reasoned out that you think is stupid. Well, Lord, I don't want to do that. He'll say, I want you to go minister to that person. Well, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Well, I want you to go witness to this person. Well, I want you to give this money to this person. You're going to reason out and go, I think that's a dumb idea. I need you to know it's not the thing. It's the thing behind the thing. He's not looking for that outcome. He's looking for your obedience and we have denied him. Very rarely with God is it the thing. Why? Because he doesn't need us for results. He can make it up out of nothing. What he wants is our heart. Everything that we engage with is a test of the heart. God wants us. He doesn't need us. There's a big difference. Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again. For he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees. Pause. What? What? Go to sleep. Right? What a creepy lady. Right? And she's like caw in the jungle book. Right? Trust in me. And her eyes are like, yeah. Right? And he's like, yes, must go to sleep. Right? I'm hoping she's knocking this dude out because he's terrible. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Hold up. Everyone knows there was no cell phones back then. So how in the world did she call this guy? A dude sleeping on her lap. All phones in that day had cords to the wall. (laughs) How she got it, I don't know. However, normally the way that you would call back in the day is, Hey, barber, right? If you do that, he's going to wake up. I have no idea how she got the guy. And how in the world did he sleep through? Seriously? You can't hear someone shaving you bald while you sleep. While he's little bald guy now on her lap. Look at the next line. Then she began to torment him and his strength left. What does that mean? He's not even awake. How do you torment somebody while they're asleep? Here's what I think. And this is just a guess. This is just speculation. I think she was speaking death over him. I think that it was much more spiritual and it was about emotional dominance. I think this is the only conversation I can picture. Oh, you thought you would take me, huh? Oh, you were the smart guy. Oh, look who won. That's funny because I wore you down. I took you out. 
You're the big bad man that can kill a thousand people. All I had to do was have you fall asleep on my lap and use a few words in your mind. She's speaking death over this guy. He's still asleep, has no idea. Look at what happens next. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and I will simply shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Ouch. How many times have we assumed on God, right? You go in all cocky and arrogant. You're going to pray for something because last time you prayed, something happened. And God said, you're not going to put me in a box. You don't own me. Well, you really think that you got a formula that manipulates me. Oh, well, God always gets my back. Well, not today. Because you know what? We're not playing that game. You seem to keep thinking you're in charge. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick movement that's going to show you that you are always dependent on me. Does God do that? He does. I do, however, want to encourage you with this. God is at work. This is less about Samson and more about God. And I'm going to suggest that in your life, it's more about God and less about you and me. Why? Because we're children of God. So God has big plans that he's using us in. And I, as much as we look at this story and we go, you know what? Satan's winning this battle. Yeah, you would agree. The guy got his head shaved. He's beat down. This is not good. The Lord left him. It looks terrible. This is a loss of a battle. I need you to always remember this. Satan may win the battle, but God always wins the war. How do we know that? You've read the end of the Bible. How does it turn out? He's always three steps ahead of the enemy. He's always smarter, faster, better in every way. So we don't need so much to worry about our failure as much as have our eyes on the power of God. Because the Bible says when we are faithless, he is still what? faithful. He is the one that follows through and finishes it. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Why? It's more about him than it is about us. Hmm. It says this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Verse 21, and the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. That's about humiliation and domination. And they brought him down to that big city of Gaza again. And they bound him with bronze shackles just to be sure. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Now, I am serious about this underlining. If there's a, the most important line of the entire Samson story in all these chapters is verse 22. And I, if you do underline, I do want you to underline this for serious. Why? Because look at this line. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now you tell me that the God of the Old Testament isn't grace-filled. God did not have to use this guy anymore. This guy is a mess. He is a failure. God could have easily raised up any other person. Samson wasn't the strong one. The Holy Spirit was the strong one. He could have grabbed anybody else and they probably would have partnered more with him. But God wasn't done with his child. God's grace, yes, in the Old Testament, is so rich and so deep that he kept with him. No, Samson, we can still do this. You're going to find out even at the end of his life, Samson gave up. God didn't give up on him. 
Samson gave up on himself. But understand this. Here's a couple other side notes. He's now bald in a prison with his eyes gouged out. Yeah. But let me remind you of how the Nazarite vow works. Normally, a Nazarite vow is a temporary vow, usually 30 days. There are only a few lifelong Nazarites in the Bible. People like Samuel and John the Baptist and Samson, there's only a few. Everyone else, Paul the Apostle, is referenced to doing two different Nazarite vows in Scripture. Nazarite vow was a dedication of a period of usually 30 days where you said, God, I'm all in. I'm praying specifically. It's almost like a fast. The way you would do it is you wouldn't grow your hair. You wouldn't cut your hair. But do you know how Nazarite vows are ended? Do you know how if you mess up in the middle, what you have to do to start over again? You have to shave your head. And you burn the hair and you start over again. So what did God do? Hey, boy, you messed up. Oh, I guess that you hate me now. No, we're just starting over again. And he had the Philistines shave his head. And then it started to grow again. Here's another question for you. If the Philistines believed, and they did, that the strength was in his hair, why in the world are they letting it grow back? Is that not weird? What, you didn't keep your eye on that one? He's a national menace. Here's my suggestion. Their arrogance blinded them to that too. Well, we already won. We already dominated him. We already got him. He'll never rise again. Really? God's got another ace up his sleeve. And his hair grew back. Now the lords and rulers of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, the God of grain and harvest, and to party and rejoice And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw humiliated Samson, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Do you really think this is about Samson or is this God versus God? God is not going to allow all this pagan worship and have another God look good. But I will tell you this, when we mess up, when we sin and violate God, and when we get selfish and let chaos happen, you do realize it smears God's name through the mud, yeah? It makes him look bad. The whole rest of the world looks at us as as a church, as Christians, and when we mess up, they look and they go, see, I told you, I'd never want to be one of them. What a bunch of losers. They're all hypocrites anyway. Which, by the way, I think you've heard me talk about this before. I do not believe that the church is full of hypocrites. I think that's given us way too much credit. We are not that intelligent. (laughs) I think we are just inconsistent with our faith. Uh, Hypocrisy means that there's intentional deceit. I don't think there's a lot of intentional deceit. I just think that we're all messed up, right? But the rest of the world looks and they go, look, see, God doesn't make any difference. Your divorce rate's the same. Your addiction rate's the same. You guys have just as many problems as we do. As a matter of fact, you guys tend to be known for hate. We don't. When we lose our way, we make God look bad. But I need you to know that God's good at his own PR. He knows how to handle his own, what, reputation. God was not about to let Dagon win that. So God comes in and says, well, you actually see I'm not done. Watch this. And verse 25, when their hearts were merry, what does that mean? 
means parties going, alcohol's flowing. That's what it means. They said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. Quick question. What did he do? He can't do any feats of strength and juggling's hard when you're blind. What did he do? I have no idea, but I don't think he was very funny. All right, let's move on. They made him stand between the pillars. And during a break in the entertainment, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, oh, wow, this national hero is led around by a little boy. And he has long hair again. Hmm. I don't think the strength was in his hair. I think the strength was in the Holy Spirit. He said, let me feel the, feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, all the lords, all five rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Do you think this party is an accident or God set up for such a time as this? You know it's a setup, yeah? So let me ask you this. Is your life really as random as you think it is or are you being set up? I would suggest to you that God's far quicker and smarter than you think he is. It's not random. He knows what he's doing, especially with his kids. Then Samson called to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh. This is the first time he's used the personal name of God. That's called humbling. Now, he's not transformed. He's still a selfish mess. But he did get humbled. And now he knows that he doesn't just call God Elohim like everybody else. He needs to get back to the Israelite God with the personal name of Yahweh. And he calls out to him. Samson said, Oh, Yahweh, please remember me. Turn your favor toward me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two eyes. All right, see, still selfish, still messed up. All right. He thinks that God, he can use God for this revenge. God only gets used when God wants to get used. Is this really about Samson's revenge? No, it's not. This is about humbling and bringing judgment on the Philistine nation. Verse 29, and Samson grasped the two wooden middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said to God, let me die with the Philistines. I would like to point out, God did not say you will die with the Philistines. This was Samson's call. Samson was out. He was done. He gave up on himself. God did not. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Do you understand that in one fell swoop, God just crippled the entire government of the Philistine empire? Why? All the leaders were there. That was the point. You're going to find out in the next, next verse, look at this. Then his relatives and all his family came and took his dead body and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father, for he had judged Israel for 20 years. If God would not have crippled their government, there's no way that his family can walk into Gaza, pick up his dead body of this national scourge and take him away. But when you have wrecked the entire cabinet of the enemy and there's no leadership, you can do anything you want. This was a masterful plan of God. But is this how it had to end? I don't think so. There were so many great warriors for God. 
There were so many victories. There were so many good guys. Why couldn't Samson have aligned his life with God's? Why did he have to waste all that power, all that strength, all that anointing, all that care and concern? Why did he have to waste the grace of God? I don't think it was God's plan. I think Samson caved. Now, Samson's still in the hall of faith. Samson's still a great guy. He's messed up, but God still loves him. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Here's what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for all of us that are wrestling with temptation. All of us that are wrestling with compulsion. All of us who have crossed the line into addiction. Because we need someone to help us remember the truths of God. We're going to pray that this prayer team is anointed. That as they begin to pray over you, as they just begin to speak truth, it would be like a river washing you clean. Do they do the forgiveness? No. That's between you and God alone. And He is a loving God desiring to forgive and cleanse. You are not coming to a vengeful, nasty God. You're coming to your heavenly Father that loves you more than you even love yourself. But I want to pray that in this time, the Holy Spirit would electrify the air. That this would be an environment, whether we're watching, whether we're listening, whether we're sitting right here, that he would electrify the atmosphere around us in anointing. That today and in this moment would be a day of breaking bonds, breaking addictions, breaking any type of strap that the enemy has put upon you. Are you ready to pray? When I get done praying, the altar is open. That means you come forward for extra prayer because the Lord has laid it on your heart, right? Whoever that is, the altar is open for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move here freely. We ask that you would change the atmosphere around us, that your presence would be so thick that, God, that we feel in one sense opened up and exposed by you, while at the other sense feeling shockingly calm and peaceful in your sight. That, Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus, every bond that the enemy has placed upon us is broken in Jesus' name. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us to be able to shatter all those habits and all those patterns of behavior, that you would remap our minds, that you would give us a new way to live, that you would strengthen us and draw us near into freedom. That, Lord, we know that for some of us, it's supernatural. For some of us, you want us to walk it out so we own it. Either way, God, would you not leave us in our own self-made prisons? Would you smash open the door, break the shackles right here, right now? That, God, for all of us that are willing to say yes to you, for all of us who are willing to admit that we are powerless, for all of us that are willing to say, God, we messed up. Your forgiveness was already waiting for us before we began. May you cleanse us, strengthen us, heal us, and set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.